turn to Mark chapter 5. Uh, does anyone need an outline or a Bible? Got the usher there standing by. Very good. Everyone's got everything they need. Uh, this outline for today is a series of questions that I had uh, about this text. Uh, when this opportunity to teach came up, I wanted to bring something from the New Testament, preferably from the Gospels and preferably from Mark. So I thought I would look for something, and I didn't have to look very far at all. As I read this passage in Mark chapter 5, uh, many questions came to mind. And so, as I said, these questions are the basis for the outline today. And in this teaching, I'll try to provide answers and uh, should you disagree with any of my conclusions, I hope that will uh, provoke you to study this out on your own and, and uh, study it a little bit further, and maybe you can show me where I'm wrong. So uh, I'm going to begin reading today in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 35, to give us a little context of these verses at the end of chapter 35, and I'm, I'm going to read from the New King James Bible. And before I read, I'll just say the disciples were in Capernaum on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and Jesus had healed all the sick who were brought to him, and so a multitude or a large crowd had gathered. So if you would please stand, and as is our custom, we'll read from Mark chapter 4, verse 35, and all the way through chapter 5, verse 20. Mark 4, 35. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Chapter 5, verse 1. Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he had said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. 
So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled. And they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him. And all marveled. Let's pray. Lord, your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of the soul and spirit. Lord, your word disowns, discerns our thoughts and our intentions. And we ask that you'd be with us now and teach us by your word, Lord. Teach us by your spirit. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I read this account about three or four weeks ago, uh, I wondered about many things. And so... Here are my questions that I had. Uh, Yours would be different, of course, and I hope that after reading this, you would have questions. First is, what is this passage about? You know, I read this superficially, and I didn't instantly relate to demons and a herd of swine and a man living in a cemetery. Number two, can I see myself in any of the characters here? You know, where would I place myself in this story? Number three, why did Jesus want to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee? After all, he had a multitude of people that had come to him there at Capernaum. So why did he want to leave them? Who is speaking to Jesus in verse 7? Is it a man or the man or is it a demon? Why did the demons want to go into the pigs? And then why did Jesus permit them? Why did he allow it? And what happened to the demons after that? You know, after the pigs drowned, what happened to the demons? You know, we're not told in this text. And how do I apply this scripture and all that Jesus did here? How do I apply all this in my life? These were the the thoughts that were going through my mind after I read this. And so rather than going through it verse by verse, I'm going to go through it question by question and see how that comes out. So my first thought was, uh, what is this passage about? Uh, This episode is here for a reason, but but what is it? What is the reason? Well, I would say that principally it's about the power of evil, and it's about Jesus' authority over it. You know, we read the account of the storm at sea, and 
It's not unreasonable to think that uh, maybe Satan or satanic powers tried to stop Jesus from crossing over to the sea and from going to the Gadarenes. Uh, um, Jesus rebuked the wind and the sea. And, and uh, so some commentators point to his rebuke there as evidence that of a demonic power. Then verse 42 says, even the wind and the sea obey him. It's, it's showing us there that Jesus has ultimate power. Gales and storms on the uh, Sea of Galilee were commonplace, but this one seemed to be extraordinary. You had, uh, in the disciples, you had experienced fishermen, and they thought they were going to die out there. In any event, whether or not that's what it is, uh, Jesus said in the Great Commission in Matthew 18, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And that includes authority over a storm and as well as authority over all forms of evil, as we'll see as we go through this, this teaching. Now, they reached the country of the Gadarenes in verse 1 there, and they're immediately met by a man with an unclean spirit. Now, many modern people who uh, say they are atheists, uh, they've abandoned or rather adopted the doctrine of naturalism, that this world is all there is, and there, there's... a uh, the predominant worldview of the intellectual class in our country today, that's what they think, that this world is all there is. There's no transcendent power, you know. They don't believe in transcendent evil, as in satanic power and demons and so forth, like we have in this story. They would say that this account of demon possession is a myth. You know, modern medical science would diagnose this man as having some form of mental illness. You know, a man living in caves and cutting himself with stones and, and so forth. Uh, um, you know, we know so much more today. Demon possession is dismissed as something from a pre-scientific worldview. Well, what is a demon? Well, Jude verse 6 says that demons are angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. Someone said that Jesus are, uh, that uh, demons are spirits who know who Jesus is, but they hate him anyway. Demons actively work against God and against what God is doing. And what they do is never in the interest of humankind. 1 Timothy 4.1 speaks of doctrines of demons. They're deceivers. So we call this man in the story a demoniac. A demoniac is a man who is a man or woman who is under the power of a demon. But the Bible distinguishes between demon possession and all forms of what we would call disease, physical disease and mental disease. Matthew 24, and I, I really, this is an important scripture. I wanted to put it in the outline, but I just didn't have room for it. Uh, Matthew 4, 24 says, then Jesus' fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, comma, epileptics, comma, and paralytics, and he healed them. So the word there that's translated from the Greek as epileptic means moonstruck. Uh, that's mental illness. Um, it's listed separate there from demon possession. You know, the word for moon in Latin and in Spanish is luna. 
That's where we get the word lunatic. Um, that's one struck by the moon. So they're separate, the demon-possessed people and those who are mentally ill. A person can be sick and demon-possessed, but those are always separated. And the point is that both Jesus and the gospel writers understood that there was paralysis and there was madness and disease that had a demonic base, and there were those that didn't. So we can't uh, just write this story off as something from a primitive era. Now, I'm using the word story here to mean a report of something that happened rather than some sort of fairy tale or fiction or made-up thing. Now, as far as this story is concerned and and this scripture, uh, we're not going to understand this passage at all if we deny supernatural evil activity. You know, Jesus believes in demons, and he believed in the devil. I heard a famous preacher very recently say that if we underestimate the power of evil, we'll be defeated by it every time. We can't underestimate it. Look at verse 3. It says, No one, no one could bind him. No one could help this man. No one was strong enough to stop him. In Matthew's account, it says, No one could pass by where he was. You know, with this atheist philosophy or a naturalist philosophy, uh, you'll radically underestimate here what evil is. Our society believes that evil can be understood and dealt with because it has human roots. If only we could get rid of the idea of God and the devil, then, you know, we could move forward through education. You know, I've noticed for a long time that anytime there's a murder or any kind of serious crime, the reporters will always go back in the murderer's life and check out his childhood, where did he go to school, his education, and They always look for reasons there, reasons of how this person was raised and so forth. Uh, As I was preparing for this teaching and thinking about all the evil that there is in the world, I I remembered a a shocking headline that I had seen back in July where a man killed his wife and three children. And so um, I went to Google and I, I typed in, man kills wife and children. And I was really shocked and and I was surprised at all the links that came up there from very recent things, not not things going back 50 or 100 years, but just very recently, all the men who have killed their wives and their children and and so forth. And uh, it's just, just shocking. You know, evil can't be understood in simple human terms. How can a man kill his wife and three children? We can't understand that. I can't. Um, human resources are not able to deal with it. So uh, this passage teaches us not to underestimate the power of evil. And there's more to evil than the human aspect. There's more to evil than, than the natural. And I'll just mention this. If, if there's not transcendent evil, how do we understand the Holocaust? And how do we understand all the genocide and, and wars of the past hundred years that have happened throughout the world? Uh, how do we understand 9-11? You know, we just had that 9-11 recently. Uh, every U.S. president for the last 70 years has wanted to solve the problems of violence and murder and 
all the blowing one another up in the Middle East, and, and no one's been able to solve that. How do we understand the Las Vegas shooter? As far as I know, they've, they've not discovered any motive for what he did. So how do we understand that? Some people try to understand evil through psychology, you know. If only we were loved properly, if our homes weren't so dysfunctional, um, or that racism and poverty can be done away with through education and better social programs. And there are drugs today that help people, uh, that are helpful to some people, but chemicals are not the ultimate answer to the problem of evil. So for all of the 20th century, we tried to deal with evil as strictly human, you know, something that we can manage and control and analyze and prescribe and something we can deal with. And these ideas have not made things better, I don't believe. So this is an important point. Our society has lost the sense of a transcendent evil, and that's bad for us. You know, we've lost the idea of God and Satan, and even of evil itself. I believe there are people today who won't even admit that there is such a thing as evil. Those of you who are older, maybe around my age, you might remember back to the hippie, the hippie era, and all we need is love and so forth. And uh, if we would just love one another, the world would be a better place. Um, there are a lot of people today that have that point of view. I still hear that song every once in a while. All we need is love. Um, there are people that have that point of view, even though, look at our country. We're split, aren't we? Right down the middle. I think we're as split as we've ever been. And, and it's, it's because of evil. The world needs a savior. That's where we are. We don't know. All we need is love. We need a savior. You need a savior. I need a savior. I needed intervention, just like this man here in Mark chapter 5. You need intervention in your life. We don't have to be living in caves and cutting ourselves with stones to be in a lost condition. And we don't have to be demon-possessed to, to get the, the meaning of this intervention here that Jesus did. I know a lot of you, are, probably all of you, are nicer than I am, but these are the facts, you know. How many, of, uh, how many of us have things in our lives that are out of control, you know, and bad habits that are destructive, and yet we continue on with them? And sometimes we have bad attitudes that suffocate our joy in the Lord, you know. We need to have the joy of the Lord in our lives, but yet we let our, our bad attitudes sometimes uh, be destructive to that. There's the problem of fearful lives. Some people live very fearful lives, and driven lives and you know people go to therapy and, and if it's a secular therapy they might not be able to tell you or they might be able to tell you how you got in the condition you're in but they're not going to have any solution the power of evil is just too much for any of us to conquer and if we deal with it in merely human terms uh, we'll be defeated so that's the longest answer the questions. Uh, I think that this story is principally about the power of evil and Jesus' authority over it. So number two, can I see myself in any of the characters here? You know, where would I place myself? Well, this is my uh, response. Yours would be different. 
I can see myself very easily in two places here. Um, I can identify first with this demon-possessed man. Uh, when I was younger, alcohol was extremely destructive to me, and uh, I'm sure that over 20 years I swore off of it at least 500 times, but kept going back to it. I wasn't living in a cave, but I sure was under the power of Satan, so I can identify with this man, and Christ was my only hope, just as Christ was his only hope. Verse 15 here infers that the man had not been in his right mind, and neither had I been. I can also identify myself with the people in verse 17 who asked Jesus to leave. You know, I didn't want to hear about Jesus for a long time. I didn't want, you know, anything to do, uh, to know anything about God. I was real busy with other things. And it seems to be that's the way that they were. Number three, why did Jesus want to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee? Well, this story here is also told in Matthew, and it's told in Luke. And in Matthew, we see that Jesus had been in Capernaum. He had healed all who were sick, and a large crowd gathered near him. And Jesus gave the command to depart to the other side. And he left that multitude for several reasons. Jesus didn't want people to believe in him just because they had seen miracles. Second, he didn't want to start a popular political uprising. You remember the incident where he fed the 5,000? They were going to come and take him by force and, and make him king, and he departed from them. And here Jesus left the multitude where he would have been very popular, and he went to the gatherings to heal one man where in the end uh, he would be asked to leave, and I'm sure he knew that. Uh, but that's how we are saved, isn't it? One at a time, Jesus went to this one man. He left the multitude. Another reason here is this was a Gentile region. The Gadarenes was a Gentile region. So his trip there foreshadows the mission to the Gentiles and shows us that opposition to Jesus isn't exclusively Jewish. So there will be a lot of Gentile opposition also. And we can begin to see how the gospel came to us. You know, Jesus crossed the sea. Jesus is the one who went to this man. It was Jesus who saved him. So verse 4, who is speaking to Jesus in verse 7? Well, it's difficult to say for sure. It, it could be the man or it could be the demon using his voice. You see, in verses 9 and 10, it's a little easier. There's the one demon there who's speaking for all the spirits. He seems to be the leader or the spokesman. But this wasn't one of my original questions, but as I studied this, uh, something jumped out at me here that's important to see. that You don't have to be demon-possessed for evil to split you. There's both a natural evil and there's a supernatural. And the person may have good intentions, but the evil in us can often come out and, and split us. You see, this man comes running to Jesus, and he falls down before him. And, and then he says, what do I have to do with you? You know, you may want to do good, but evil desires can overrule uh, your good intentions. But something from the past here occurred to me as I was studying for this uh, I taught a Sunday school class uh, three or four years ago, I believe, on, on Romans chapter 7. And I know probably some of you were there. Um, 
This is where Paul says, Romans 7.15, and I'll give you a modern English paraphrase. He says, I really don't understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do something that I hate. It's Romans 7.15. I know some of you were in that class, and we talked about the, the uh, novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. If you ever read that book, I guess it was a movie too. Uh, in the beginning, you know, Dr. Jekyll could control his evil self, and and uh, he enjoyed letting it out, and he had it under control. But after some time of indulging his evil self, he could no longer control it. You know, the evil self was getting stronger and stronger, and finally became the stronger of the two entities. Uh, and that's hinted at here in Mark 5. In this New King James Version that I read from, there's a footnote on verse 3 that says, anymore. No one could bind him anymore. The New American Standard Bible and the New International Version, the English Standard Version, those are some I looked at. They all translate verse 3 as, no one could bind him anymore. The evil in him seemed to be growing stronger. And that can happen to any one of us when we indulge our evil impulses. You know, when you indulge sinful desires, they become stronger. You know, how many times do you start out your day with a good plan and then you let some bad habit or something like that end up causing you to do exactly what you didn't want to do? Or you do what you said you wouldn't do. I know I've told this many times up here, but every time I leave home, I say, I'm not going to get angry at the way people drive. And I get about two blocks, three blocks, first traffic light, you know. I mean, how many times do we say, I'm going to love my wife today, and, and then something happens to us, and, you know, that all goes out the window. Um, you know, with, with people who uh, have a problem with alcohol. They say, well, I'm just going to have one drink. I'm just going to have one beer. Something like that. Two o'clock comes, they're still there, you know. I know some of you know that. You know, when we indulge ourselves, the, the evil in us grows stronger and it, can, and it can split us. Someone said that the demoniac is just a man at the end of the road where we are all headed without Christ. You know, if we don't have Christ in our lives, if that's where we're headed, is down this road. If we go on long enough seeking the things of the world, evil splits us just like it split this man. Verse 5, uh, why did the demons want to go into the pigs? Well, verse 12 says they begged Jesus to send them to the swine. Well, first let's note that the demons didn't come out of this man on their own. Uh, Satan's kingdom is subject to the authority of Christ, and so uh, a superior power came along and compelled these demons to come out. But the reason for entering the pig seems to have been to turn the people and the Gadarenes against God. You know, perhaps the people thought that uh, the those tending the pigs and those around the demons probably thought that the people would blame Jesus for their loss for the loss of all these pigs and that he'd be unpopular there. You know, these unclean spirits are always the enemies of mankind. And so 
They eagerly desire to plunge all whom they can into the same destruction that they themselves face. And we see that in the end, the people did ask Jesus to leave their region. So in a moment, for a moment there, it looks at, like the demons got the best of it, but we'll see that they didn't. So why did Jesus allow it? Why did he allow the uh, demons to go into the pigs? Psalm 50.10 says that, uh, this is God speaking, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. You know, Jesus is the ultimate owner of the pigs, but uh, the reason he allowed it seems to be the demons appointed time had not yet arrived. Matthew 5.29, it says, and suddenly the demons cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? You know, Jesus didn't come the first time for judgment. There will be a judgment. Their time will come. And there is a time when the demons will be cast into the abyss. You know, it says in Ecclesiastes 3.1, there's a time for everything. Secondly, the stampede of the pigs proves that the demons indeed had left this man. Uh, and it also showed the people the evil powers they were up against. You know, that these demons, 2,000, I mean, the pigs, 2,000 of them go rushing off the side of a mountain. It shows the, the power, the, the power of evil there that they're up against. You know, Jesus, the good shepherd, rescued the man, so the demons go and destroy the pigs. The loss of the pigs exposed the real value the real values of the people who lived there. Don Carson wrote that these people were busy with other things, just as I said that I was at one time. They were busy with other things, and he says they preferred swine to the Savior. And John Calvin said this loss was to try what manner of people the Gadarenes are. So the demons did not outsmart Jesus, and that dramatic scene of the pigs accomplished Jesus' purposes. I'm sure that everyone around there heard about it, and here we are talking about it today. You see in verse 20, this man goes out and bears witness to Jesus in the Gentile region, the ten cities, and the last words there says, all marveled. So Jesus used this for his own purposes. Number seven, what happened to the demons after this? Well, we can't know for sure, but there is a scripture in Matthew chapter 12. I noted it in the outline here. These are the words of Jesus. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. You know, there were people who were baptized by John the Baptist, but they didn't come to Jesus. You know, Christ died for our sins, but we also need his righteousness. We need the forgiveness of our sins but we also need Christ's righteousness imputed to us. We need the Spirit's presence in our heart to, to lead us and to guide us and teach us. 
I've always thought of those uh, verses in Matthew 12 that I just read as pertaining to alcoholics who can stop drinking through a secular program. You know, it's great. It's great that they stop drinking, but without Christ, they're still lost. They're sober, which is good, but if Christ isn't their Savior and Christ isn't in their heart, they're only going to benefit from it in this life. As we said earlier, there is a future uh, future time for the demons to be cast into the abyss, but that's in, in the future. So if we think about this, there are still demons about, and we need divine protection. You know, we need the protection of Christ. So the last question, number eight, how do I apply this scripture and this teaching to my life? Well, this episode shows us how we come to salvation, how we come to healing. How does it happen? This man comes running to Jesus in verse 6 and says he worshipped him. He worshipped Jesus and then he said, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. This is a mark of someone who sees the real Jesus. He's attracted to Jesus, but at the same time, he kneels down and says, do not torment me. That's because he sees that Jesus is the most high, that Jesus has all power. We might say that he sees there are demands of those who know God. You know, there are demands of us when we know God. It can intimidate you and it can scare you. People who take salvation very lightly probably haven't ever met the real Jesus. You know, we spoke earlier of the doctrine of demons in 1 Timothy 4.1. Satan would have us to believe that if we come to Jesus, we'll be harmed or that we'll never again have any joy or any fun. Think of what Satan said to Adam and Eve. You know, essentially the serpent said there, uh, this is essentially what he said, if you obey God, you're going to miss out on good things. You know, God's got some things, but uh, he knows that you'll be like him if you eat from this tree. From this tree. <laughs> and here it is again. This man says, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. So Satan's message is that if you give yourself to God, he will do you harm. But if you think of God as your heavenly Father, and you think of the great lengths that He's gone to to save you, and giving His Son and all that He's done, how can you think that He has any intention of harming you? And yet sometimes we do. You know, sometimes we think we're going to suffer financial harm if we give to the church, and if we're generous with other people and so forth. Uh, uh, we think we're going to miss out on some kind of worldly pleasures and like that. You know, if we told our earthly parents that we love them and we want to obey them in all things, would they punish us for that? I don't believe we would think that way. And if we understand the gospel at all, uh, we shouldn't imagine that of God. So this man in Mark 5 was afraid of the Lord of love, and the Lord showed him that he had nothing to be afraid of. So what was the result? You see in verse 15, you see the participles there. He was sitting at the feet, you know, at the feet of a new master, Jesus. His old master was a thief who came only to steal and kill and destroy. He was clothed, whereas before he had been naked. We might even think of him as being clothed in the 
righteousness of Christ. He's sane. You know, he's in his right mind. Let me just uh, speak very personally here for a moment. You know, when, when I teach up here, I, I always bring up more information than, than I feel like I have time for, and I want to talk real fast and, and, and go through it real fast. But if I could make only one point today, this, this is the point I want to make. It's right here. Is to look at this man. He ran to Jesus. He was demon-possessed. He was living in the tombs, you know, and, and all these things. And, and uh, now he runs to Christ, and now he has a, a new purpose, and, and he's clothed, and he's in his right mind. And, and you know, that's a wonderful thing. And, and people can say, well, you know, that happened a long time ago, and, and things are, were different then and, and all that. And, uh, well, I can tell you that Jesus did the same thing for me. Just as right here, I have no trouble at all uh, uh, identifying with this man. But I can give you an even more current example than, than myself. Uh, I knew Kyle before the Lord saved him. You know? That's something to think about, isn't it? You know, just think about the how we were before the Lord saved us. You know, if you're like me and you get old and you've been a Christian a long time, you forget about a lot of this stuff. You you forget about how how life was, and you know, I'm just uh, it's just thrilling to me to see God working in the young people in in the church and working in in all of us. And you know, when we read this story, we wouldn't read it. The, we shouldn't read it the way I did the first time. Just superficially, you know, and all this is a real exciting story and all this stuff and, and the pigs and everything. But, uh, I mean, look at the difference. This man has a new life, a whole new mission in life to, to tell what great things that Jesus Christ has done for him. You know, Jesus offers a new life to all who would believe in him. You know, the power of evil mainly blinds our eyes to the fact that Jesus Christ is a God of grace, you know. Sometimes we think of Christianity as a drudgery, you know, but uh, if, we, uh, if we avoid Christ, we'll continue living out in the tombs the way this man was. So Jesus had mercy on this former demoniac, and, and notice that Jesus did not tell him to go clean himself up morally. Uh, Jesus said to him, go home to your friends and tell him what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. He didn't give him a list of do's and don'ts. You know, we do that to ourselves a lot of times, don't we? We give ourselves a list of do's and don'ts and then we fail and then we start feeling condemned and everything. But but Jesus saved this man. Then he said, go home and tell your friends. Tell your friends what great things the Lord has done for you. You know, when we take communion, the Lord's table shows us that Jesus Christ is the Lord of grace, and He died for you. His body was broken for you, and we have a hard time believing that. We continually think that somehow we have to be worthy. You know, our heart tells us that the gospel can't be true, but it is. I mean, look at this man who uh, Jesus crossed over the sea to save. We're not told anything worthy about him at all prior to Jesus saving him. If there was anything worthy about it, we're not about him. We're not. Uh, we're not told about it. So that's the gospel. 
and it's offered to you. And speaking figuratively, uh, you know, I think maybe sometimes we can have a herd of swine somewhere that we're tending to, and it can keep us away from the Lord, keep us occupied, keep us distracted. So this story shows the power of evil and the grace of God extended to all mankind. And uh, you may not be living in a cave, but just like this man, you need the intervention of Christ. We all do. Each one of us need Christ working in our lives, Christ intervening in our lives, Christ saving us. And that's offered to each one of us, to every one of us here. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. We thank you that the good shepherd leaves the 99 and and looks for that one that's gone astray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that we're saved not by our goodness, but by Christ's righteousness, by his death for us, Lord, his, his willingly going to the cross to take on himself the punishment that we deserve. We thank you for that. And We thank you for this story of this demon-possessed man and how Christ crossed the sea to save him, Lord. And and we thank you and we know that, uh, Lord, you love your people and you care for us, Lord, and that we have safety in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray in his name. Amen.